very kind of non-traditional approach to God and church that we do something as traditional as Lent in the rhythms of the life of this church. Today we're going to start out in the book of Matthew. Matthew is right in the middle, first book of the New Testament, first of the stories of Jesus' life. If you go to the middle and start kind of working your way toward the back, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And there we find Jesus' longest and um, most well-known sermon. And because we're so creative in titles, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Because he was teaching on a mountain. And um, we're, like I said, so creative. Uh, But I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Verse 13, it says this. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Verse 14, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, which can I just say that's a really strange verse because who would put a candle under a basket? You're just going to catch the place on fire. It's just, I, I don't ever understood that. Why not a bucket? Like a bucket would be okay or a bowl, anything? I don't know. Um, instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So we've kind of all heard the phrase, or most likely have heard the phrase, the salt of the earth. That person is the salt of the earth. And what we're usually referring to is someone who has this down-to-earth, simple, consistent goodness about them that makes others want to be around them, that makes the world around them better. They seem to place others before themselves in this generous kind of life that looks and feels and just draws you in as something so good. And we say, man, that person is just the salt of the earth. Now, salt as you probably know, serves several functions, particularly in this time. It was a preservative without refrigeration, electricity that we so wonderfully enjoy and take for granted. They needed ways to make meat last longer than one meal, and salt was one of the best ways to do that. Along with that, salt added flavor to food. And then it was a really important part of diet in this region of the world this time, because There's so much heat and humidity, you needed the salt to help your body retain the moisture necessary for life. It was so important that what would happen in a village is that they would buy and they would then have delivered a large block of salt in the village. And families would come and and chip off the amount of salt they needed and take it back home. In the process of doing that, because salt is salt, As you chip it off, parts of it are going to fall on the ground, mingle with the dirt, become unsalty, and not be of any use. And so he has this image in mind, an image that's completely foreign to us, but made complete sense to them, of of something that's so valuable to the community, so important to the community, brings so much goodness to the community, but without being careful can just become useless. Mixed in with the dirt, trampled on, and of little good to the community itself. And he says to them, you are the salt. An essential part of the community that preserves and sustains and brings out the good flavors of life. 
He goes on to call his hearers now the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Now when you get out of the city at night, which is completely possible where we live, you can get out far enough from Goldsboro, you can get out on a cloudy night when the stars and the moon are hidden, and and you can experience complete darkness not too far away. But if you get close enough to the city, you'll start to see the glow that emanates from the light of the city. And if you're from Goldsboro, then you know you're getting close to home. You can follow that light home. It shines up the darkness. It is lit always, day and night, as this beacon of home. It shows the way back. And he says, you too are light in the world. Your good deeds, your actions, the way you live shines brightly and lights the way home for others. It doesn't simply exist for its own good. Light does not have any purpose but to shine and reveal something else. Imagine you're in the forest late at night. The clouds have hidden the stars and the moon, and you can see nothing. You start to move, but you trip over roots. So you get still and kind of shuffle, but now you're hearing things. Maybe you don't even have to be in the forest at night to start hearing things, get a little freaked out. But you're in, let's just imagine we're in the forest. And you hear the little feet of little creatures running across the ground. But then you hear bigger sounds too. Growls and snarls and barks and who knows what. You start to move again, but this time you end up with your face in a tree. And that doesn't feel so good. You keep going, trying to feel your way through, but you miss something. The giant spider web that just hits your face. That's worse than the tree because you don't know if there was a spider in that web that's now on you. Now you just have to feel it. The whole time, there's something. Yeah. When I was a little kid in my grandparents' house in Delaware, I was left to sleep alone in a room upstairs. Upstairs. Hear me? Upstairs. I was still certain all night long there was a head with a face attached to it looking through that window. All night long, it was there. I, I don't know how. It was the second floor. It didn't matter. As a kid, it was there. Freaked me out. I didn't sleep until the lights came up. Why, I got up, why didn't I get up and turn on the lights? I don't know. I was too scared of the face. When the sun came up, light does what light does, and it revealed the truth, and there was some street light shining on a branch, and there was no one there. Because, of course, it was the second floor. Darkness does something to our minds. We imagine monsters that aren't there, things that can hurt us. We walk into spider webs. We get tripped up when we cannot see. But when there is light, we find our way. So imagine now that there is this one who shows up in that dark forest with just a small lantern. That small lantern is enough. It's enough to light the way out of the forest. And the only thing we care about in that moment is staying as close to that light as possible. And Jesus is described in John chapter 1 as the light of the world. 
that one that in those darkest moments of light, when we are stuck deep in the depths of the forest, spider webs on our faces, he starts to show us the way out. And it doesn't matter the path that he takes. It doesn't matter the route that he chooses. It doesn't matter what obstacle we have to climb or tree we have to dodge or river we have to go across. We're staying with the dude with the light. And life kind of becomes this way for us. As we follow Jesus, we realize, I don't really care where He takes us, because without Him it's dark, and with Him I can see. And I'd rather see than be stuck. I'd rather know what is real and what is true. And He begins to lead us through. But then, here, He says, you are the light. You show the way home. You lead the way. You reveal where the Father is and what is good and what is right and what is true. This is where it gets really interesting for me in this passage. So I told you, it was the longest sermon that we have of Jesus. Strangely enough, it's one of the few sermons delivered to a group of people that we have. Most of the teachings of Jesus that we have are to one person, which should make us feel really good. Because if Jesus took the time to teach one person what they needed to hear, then he'll take the time to teach us what we need when we need it most too. Anyway, that's a whole other side note. It has nothing to do with the sermon. Largest sermon, right? Lots of things that he teaches about. He teaches about anger. Holding on to anger is just as dangerous to your soul as murdering. Okay, Jesus, you're taking this whole thing serious. He keeps going. And he talks about impurity And he talks about how it is that we're meant to live our sexual ethic. And and he pushes it so far to even condemn lust as just as dangerous as any kind of sex outside of marriage. So what's really interesting for me in this is that finally, psychology and sociology are catching up with the Bible. Do you know 11 states, 11 of our states have declared pornography a major social health issue? And that number keeps going up. Lust destroys. And he starts to teach these things. And and it is kind of these these boundaries, these lines. He tells us to be generous, but don't brag about it. He reminds us that it's our own sin that will drag us down. And not the sin of others to pay more attention to what God wants to do in you than to be willing to point out someone else's problem. And he keeps going on these things over and over on all these different kind of relationships with how we connect with God and others, but it begins somewhere else. It begins in Matthew 5, 1. He starts with this, these, these you are statements. He says, you're blessed. This is who you are. You are blessed. If you are poor, you are blessed. If you're grieving, you are blessed. If you are humble, you are blessed. If you're hungry for justice, now imagine, he's speaking to a people who are under the oppression of a vast empire. He says, if you're hungry for justice, you're blessed. If you're merciful, you're blessed. If your heart is pure, you are blessed. If you'll work for peace, you are blessed. If if you're getting attacked for doing what is right, you are blessed. You, the blessed ones, he says, you are blessed. Salt and light. He doesn't say go be salt and light. 
You notice that he doesn't say, this is so a new task, something you need to go and do. He says, this is what you are. And I love that before Jesus ever begins to talk to people about what he's asking, the way to go forward in this life and to have the life we were created to live, he reminds us who we are. <laughs> he starts by helping us to see as that, that one who is the light. He says, let me shine a light on what you really are. You really are blessed. You see yourself as poor. You see yourself as oppressed. You see yourself as broken and pushed down and meek. You see yourself as one who is seeking God but, and trying to do what's right, but you keep getting knocked down. That's how you see yourself, but I see you as blessed. You are blessed. You're blessed because you'll know what it is to trust God. You're blessed because you'll know what it is to be comforted by God. You, you're blessed because you know what it is to be rescued by God. You are blessed. And you who are blessed then are the salt and light of the world. You are salt and light. Matthew, the author here, he, he uses these words of Jesus, this sermon of Jesus to try to help his people, his audience, his church to understand what, what Jesus expects of them. They're people who have been, who have chosen the way of Jesus. They're kind of early adopters within the Jewish culture. And because they've adopted faith in Jesus, because they've chosen Jesus as Messiah, they have been pushed out. They've been pushed out of places of worship. They have been pushed out of community life. They have been pushed out of families. And they've been excluded and they're trying to figure out how do we live this Jesus life in this place? And he reminds them, in spite of all that's happened to you, you're blessed. Now go and you are salt and light here. This is what it looks like. And he talks about, he says that, that he talks about anger and forgiveness and the, 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 the sexual ethic and the fidelity. And, and he teaches about honesty and integrity and and. He teaches about responding to the violence of others with love, even for enemies. He, he, he teaches some crazy things. Like, when you get hit, stand back up and take another hit. And don't hit back. He said, don't back down, but don't hit back. Well, I teach my kid. I don't care what you teach your kid. This is what Jesus said. I know it's hard. He's crazy. He asked this to do things that don't make sense. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. It's blessed to be poor. Anybody feel blessed when you feel poor? Don't feel that way. It says your feelings don't determine who you are. And he keeps pushing. He keeps pushing and he keeps pushing. He says, when you live this way, you become, you are salt and light. And I, and I keep kind of been wrestling with this lately as I have had this wonderful new opportunity. And I, listen, I talk about my friends at Middle Grounds all the time, and, and, and I love them. And I love the shop, and that's great. The coffee's great. But I don't go there for that. It puts me right in the center of Goldsboro and I meet and get to talk to so many people by just going and sitting there for a couple of hours every few days. And it's put me in this place of asking questions. What does this really mean 
there? What does it really mean in a community of people who don't think like I do or believe like I do or live like I do? Right? What does it mean in a place of people who have questions about Jesus or, and have heard all kinds of answers? God, forgive us for our answers. And, and I've been wrestling with this because I think that we see in Jesus very clearly and in this teaching that there is a way of life. There is a set of actions that whether I agree with them or not, God defines as holy. Now, there's a difference between goodness and holiness, right? There is this what we call provenient grace, grace that goes before. There is an outpouring of God's grace in the world that means we can see goodness in all kinds of places. Holiness is when I allow Jesus to be in charge of every decision of my life and allow my life to reflect His way of being and His choices, whether I like them or not. So we see goodness all around, but we're called to holiness. So we become salt and light as we enter into an unholy, chaotic world as the center of peace and joy and holiness. We demonstrate another way of being in the world. Jesus calls it the kingdom of God. And He invites us to live differently, to love differently. He invites us to a, a whole different way of seeing ourselves so that my identity is not determined by my label. My identity is not determined by my label and neither is yours or anybody else's. We like labels. Your kids, whether you know it or not, are struggling with how to label themselves, how to understand what they believe, understand sexuality, understand identity, all of these questions, and what label am I supposed to wear? Kids, don't put any of them on. And then we, as adults, need to be careful not only about the labels we place on ourselves, but the ones we apply to others. Because what we like to do is label them and write them off. Label them. And leave them. Let's just, let's just be done with that. And so we see, we see that we are invited to this different way of living. And that's one side of this salt and light. The good deeds shine forth and point people to Jesus. Not to us. It's not that we want to be complimented. We want them to ask, like, what's weird about you? Because it's strange. Not, you seem to have control over your emotions. You seem to have this identity that's rooted in something different than your situation. You seem to be able to respond. You're weird. What's, what's weird with you? That's what we're waiting for. But then there's this other side. And this, this other side of salt and light, and we see it in Jesus over and over again. And I think it can be boiled down to one word. Hospitality. Hospitality. Jesus is the most hospitable human being to ever walk the earth. And I, and I got to looking at his life and thinking about the way that he did life compared to the way that I tend to do life. Because Jesus, like the first thing that I noticed is that he initiated connection. He went looking for someone to talk to. He didn't let them walk by and not say anything. He didn't look at the ground when he passed somebody. He engaged the people around him, but then he, he created these, these welcoming environments. 
probably the most famous story of an environment that Jesus created. And, and, and um, it's one that gets talked about a lot. It's in, it's in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It's the story of Jesus' first miracle. He gets invited to a wedding. And he's there. He's just attending the wedding. But mom says, hey, we got a problem. The hospitality is broke, breaking down. They're running out of wine. The, the, the hosts are going to be ridiculed. It's going to be this disaster for the family. You can fix it. So I brought these people, and I just told them to do whatever you told them to do. And so he takes, he says, okay, find some empty jars, and they fill them with water. He says, okay, now take that water and go give it to the host. They look at him, he's like, you got to be crazy. You want us to, basically it was wash pots, like a sink. You want us to go take this water from the sink and give it to the host. She said, do whatever he said, I guess it's on him. So they do, and it's the best wine. He creates this environment. He saves the reputation of the host and creates an environment of joy and celebration at this wedding. He creates this welcome, this safe place again. He protects the hospitality of the moment. And Jesus, He was an environment of hospitality. Every one of us, every single one of us, create an environment around us every day. If you're a boss, you create an environment. You may not know what it is, but I guarantee everybody who works for you does. If you're a parent, your kids know exactly what kind of environment you create. If you're, if you're a spouse, your, your spouse knows exactly what kind of environment you create. Kids, teenagers, your parents know what environment you create. Most of the time, we have no idea what it's going to be next. And we're just rolling with the punches, trying to, without losing it. Gosh. Hey, I, I, my 11-year-old turns 12 this month, and, or next month, and my 9-year-old's going on 19, and I have no clue what's going on. I just know there's going to be a crazy environment in the house tonight at some point. But we all do it. And I wonder what kind of environment gets created around you. There was a time in my life when I came home with a list of questions for Anita of all of the things that I thought she should have accomplished that day while I was gone at work. And she was raising two toddlers. The environment, yeah, I created was so bad. She told me there are days I wish you just wouldn't come home. You can laugh if you want. It was... It, 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 I mean, now it's funny. Then it like cut me to the very core. This is not who I want to be. This is not the environment I want to create. What does it happen when we can create a safe environment for people to ask questions, to explore, to grow? What if we were to be those people in our community who create an environment of inclusion and encouragement and hope, an environment of strength and possibility, an environment where you get to, you get to be real so that you can become what you were created to be? What if we were those people that wherever we went, whatever workplace, whatever circle we were in, people gravitated to you because you brought something out of them? The environment around you was welcoming and inclusive like Jesus. So I ask you, what kind of environment is around you?
The second thing that Jesus did is that He would meet people when they were empty, but He would never let them leave until they were filled. He would meet them when they were empty, but He wouldn't let them leave until they were filled. Jesus added value to the people He came into contact with. Imagine the stories in John chapter 4. There's a woman... She has been used and abused and mistreated. People have married her when they didn't do it. When she didn't measure up to what they expected, they cast her out. Five different men used, thrown her off. Now she's with a guy who won't even marry her. And she is an outcast in society. She doesn't want to see anyone. She doesn't want to know anyone. Head down, headed to the well in the middle of the day, the heat of the day when nobody's supposed to be there. To her utter dismay, there sits a rabbi. She needs water. So she keeps walking, head down. Okay, Jewish rabbi, he won't speak to me. I'm good. Get my water, get out. Jesus looks at her and says, how about some water? <laughs> and it seems so simple, but there's this acknowledgement of humanity and presence that she probably hadn't felt from a man or anyone else in a long time. And she just unloads and he listens and he, and he gives her perspective. And something shifts in her as she realizes who Jesus is. And she hears things like she's never imagined before in an authority. And she, and she connects and something shifts in her. And she goes back to town and has had such an experience with Jesus. She brings everybody that will come with her. When was the last time you had such a radical experience with Jesus? You were dragging somebody. You got, you got to meet this guy. You got, to, you got to come with me. This is crazy. You know part of the problem? is we come to Jesus thinking we're already full. And we're full of something. But when we come to Him acknowledging our emptiness, we leave full. We get the opportunity to be those people. Those people. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting the other day, and somebody comes in uh, into, into the coffee shop, and they sit down, and I can see it's just not, not the day. It's like, you just don't seem yourself. And like, Bruh. for the next 39, calling, canceling me, like, sorry, I'm going to be late, and just listening. And they left, and Nina went in later and says, Ooh, we got into a deep conversation today, me and your husband. And it really was like that. There's just this, and, and I don't get to, I'm, the environment that I created for a long time was not that way. Without trying, and I didn't believe it, and so I heard it so many times, and I think it has just to do with this little title that sometimes gets thrown before my name. I have a tendency to give off an intense and intimidating vibe. I know, it's shocking. And I think it has more to do with the little title than actually me. But I have to be very intentional about how my face looks. It's okay to smile. I can see you all the way to the back today. They turn on some lights. It's okay. It's okay if you need, you're having a bad day and you can't smile. That's okay to you. I still love you. I'll hurt you down later this week and find out what's going on. <laughs> there we go. No. It, and, and, and you have to be intentional about your face, about your actions, about your posture. You know what you know, part of the problem is, too, is we don't know who we are. So we can't let anybody else in. We can't pour into anyone else because we don't think we have anything. 
We forget we are blessed. We forget we are salt. We forget we are light. We forget Jesus is in us. And so we think we got nothing to offer. So we close up, hide, look down, put our nose in the book or the phone or whatever every chance we get. Or we, or we let our face go straight and, and resting unpleasant. And, <laughs> and we run people off. Instead of being that environment that is welcoming. What if we became known as those people? Like there's just something about them. There's welcoming. All you got to do is get around one of them, right? Do I add value to people's lives? If it's a five-minute conversation or 50-minute or an hour or two minutes or whatever. When people, when I encounter people, do they leave filled? Do they feel like they've added value to their lives? Do my kids feel like I add value to their lives? Or tear them down? Does my spouse feel like I add value to her, to him? Do they feel like I robbed them of it? The next thing that Jesus did, before we sink too deep into that question, Jesus just, he ate with people. Like, everybody. All the time. I don't know how the dude didn't weigh like a thousand pounds. He was always, like every story in the Bible is Jesus eating with somebody. Somebody different. And it's amazing. He loved parties. He talked about parties. He went to parties. Everybody wanted him at their party. I mean, when you get the reputation as the guy who turned water into wine, of course you're going to get an invitation to the party. But he did. He, he would, he, and he realized sometimes it takes a party to prove to people about them more than their opinion. That you care about people more than your own opinion. And he ate with people. Ate with people who disagreed with him. Ate with people who thought differently than him. Ate with the outcasts and the marginalized, the forgotten, the written off. He just ate with all of them. He knew that something mysterious happens across the table, across the meal, across a cup of coffee or wine or whatever it was. And he knew and he watched as strangers became friends and friends become family. And something shifts over time with each new time we sit down at the table. There's something about Christianity, something about our faith in Jesus that calls us to open doors and open tables and open lives that's really absurd. And ridiculous, and let's just be honest, scary. I mean, you even have in the New Testament, don't be afraid to, to, to entertain strangers. Don't be afraid to invite strangers in because you might actually be entertaining angels. It's really absurd. Like you, he believed it too. He describes the kingdom of God coming down. Into Revelation, we kind of get things backwards sometimes. We think all this burns up, then we all go to heaven. Into Revelation, heaven comes down to earth. New heaven, new earth, no doors. No doors. Can't keep anybody out, can't keep anybody in. Strangers are welcome. 
Because we don't live by fear. We're not a slave to fear anymore. So we can open our tables and we can open our hearts and we can open our, we can open our homes and our community and our country. We can open up because Jesus, and He's crazy. But he says, this is how the whole kingdom of God erupts in the world. And everything changes. And he keeps inviting us to keep opening up more and more of what we'd rather hide. I mean, Jesus himself, he risked trusting people. Do you realize he called 12 teenage boys to be his disciples? And in three years, taught them how to do what he did. And then said, okay, ghost, you take the mission now. I can't imagine 12 teenage boys accomplishing anything. Other than video games, and maybe a game of basketball with only two people getting hurt. But he trusted. He risked trusting. And, and it wasn't without pain. One of them betrayed him and another denied him. One of them opened the doorway for him to end up on the cross. But he risked trusting. And he believed the best in people. Little Zacchaeus, I don't know if he was little or Jesus was little. The text is kind of odd. One of them was little. And so Zacchaeus had to get up in a tree to be able to see Jesus. But Zacchaeus was a bad dude. Like he was, he was a traitor of his nation. He worked for the Roman Empire collecting taxes. And on top of that, he'd steal extra for himself. And he ran a whole crew of people who did this. He says, well, I want to see this Jesus guy. Jesus sees him in the tree and thinks, I think we can do something with this guy. Everyone else written him off, labeled him, tax collector, useless, traitor, nobody. Jesus sees him and says, why don't you come on out of that tree? I'm going to go eat with you. I'm going to go eat with you. Jesus sits down at the table and Zacchaeus stands up. They're probably about the same height. Zacchaeus stands up and they're like, are you standing? He's standing. He stands up and says, listen, everything I stole, I'm giving it back fourfold. And, and every extra thing I have, we're just giving it to the poor. Like Jesus saw something in this guy and he believed in him. What if we were the people who believed in the ones that nobody else could believe in? What if we could see past the hurts that were causing the craziness? What if we could see past and believe that there is more to this person than their chaos or their brokenness or their hurt or their past? What if we were those people who opened ourselves up to believe? That's what Jesus seemed to do. And then he would invite them to go deeper. Never obligation, just pure invitation. He actually kind of tried to scare people off. There were people who said, I'm going to come follow you, Jesus. He says, no, no, this is too hard for you. If he had said that to me, I'm like, yeah, I'm coming. (laughs) You're not going to tell me anything's too hard for me. So that may have been his game. I don't know. But but he just would invite people deeper. He'd tell stories and entertain the crowd. And then you see in Mark chapter 4, verse 9, he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. What he's saying is some people are going to understand and some people won't. I love them all. I'll entertain the crowds, but those who are ready, come follow me. I've got something we can do together. And he keeps inviting us deeper and deeper and deeper into this love and this walk with him until we are salt and light. 
So let's get real practical, right? Just going to translate this into, into real practical ways. This week, we are salt and light. We're going to use the word bless because somebody needs to be blessed this week. And we like to say that word in the South. So we're going to start with that. And we're going to mean good things by it. Begin with prayer. What if we stop to start the day before your feet hit the floor? God, would you show me an opportunity? Would you show me an, an opportunity today to bless someone? And then pray for those you imagine you're going to cross your path. God, show me how to bless this person when the moment comes. And you just begin your day praying. Maybe there's a list of neighbors you've not yet met. I mean, that's what this little dumb thing on the wall is. It's not a pound sign. It's not a hashtag. It's a reminder that we have eight neighbors who live around us. Most of us don't even know their names. But Jesus said, love your neighbor. So what if we start praying, begin the day praying for our neighbors? And then say, God, would you give me an opportunity to bless them today, to love them today? And begin with prayer. And the second is to listen. But we're going to add a qualifier. Listen without judgment. I know it's hard. But imagine you sit down from someone that you've already labeled, and you'd rather write them off, but they start talking. And you're already formulating what you're going to say. Check that. Set it aside. And try this. That's really interesting. Tell me more. And then zip it. And listen. When they get done, you don't even have to acknowledge whether you agree or not. Just say, wow, tell me more. Do you know what happens when you listen to someone? They feel loved. Most of us, most of us can't tell the difference from being listened to and being loved. It's the same. So listen, without judgment. Let me give you just a little piece of loving pastoral advice. Nobody cares what you think. (laughs) Especially when it comes to your politics. We are not known as a people, Christians, for being hospitable. We are known for being loudmouth jerks. I spend all day, every day, trying to overcome that reputation in Goldsboro. Like, we're trying to give Jesus a good name again, and you hop online with 57 political posts and ruin it! (laughs) Nobody cares. Here's... You say, well, well, then I'll just keep posting. Nobody cares. And you lose every opportunity to talk about Jesus every time you do. Because here's what happens. We process information first through our emotions. And how we say things triggers emotion. So when we hear something, especially something we disagree with, we immediately have an emotional response. And it doesn't even make it to our rational part of our brain. So do you know how you influence someone and change the way they think? You listen. And then you listen some more. And then, then when they ask, you still listen some more. Wait for them to ask like five times what you think. And then just give them a tiny little bit. And see how they respond. 
Because nobody cares what you think until they know how much you care. And on social media, nobody knows that you care. So we need to stop that. And we can get into real life. Creating environments of welcome and love and listening without judgment. And get the opportunity to wait. And wait. And wait. Because here's what we believe. God has all the time in the world to do whatever he wants to do in somebody's life. And he doesn't need me to get in the way. So we ask it. It's our question. You know this if you've been here. What is God asking you to do? What is God asking you to do? I pray He's asking you to like do a 40-day Facebook fast. Maybe all of us. Or check into Middle Grounds, check into Hydrant, and keep going on with life. <laughs> yeah. So check it in. Check it in and go. So here we go. It is... I know, I know it's tough. I know it's tough in our world where everything is so divided. And we want so badly to be right. It's more important as Christians that we love than we be right. It's more important that we love than we be right. It's more important that we get the opportunity to talk about Jesus than what we think. It's more important that we love someone than we get the right person elected. Listen without judgment and then listen some more. And then when you listen, you'll get the opportunity. You know what will happen when you listen to people enough? They'll invite you to eat with them. Yeah. And you listen enough and you'll get to eat with them. And they'll talk some more and you'll get to talk a little bit. And you get to encourage and you get to pour in and you get to add value to their lives. Believe in them. Support them. Give them hope and strength and courage. And then, after you've eaten with them, so we've got, begin with prayer, listen, eat, and then serve. Now, it's important that you do it in this order. Because if you try to serve before you listened, you're going to do for them what you think they need. Not what they've actually asked for. Serve. Jesus served. He served from a heart of genuine love and compassion for people, believing that God could transform anyone, right? And he was Jesus, so it's a little different, but for us, we didn't realize none of us can transform anybody, but he can transform everyone. And so we love and we listen, we serve, and we get the opportunity. When we're asked, we share our story, our story, not the story or a story or what we think their story should be. We share our story. This is the way I was. I met Jesus. I was so empty. I was so broken. I was so tired. I was so afraid. And I met Jesus. And he met me. And he, and he, and he let me just spill it all out. And he took my fears and he gave me courage. He took my disappointments and my failures and he gave me hope. He believed in me, and he loved me when no one else did, and I would follow him anywhere, because he's the only one who's got any light in this crazy world. I don't know what you need. 
don't know whether you're empty or you're tired or just feels like troubles are surrounding you on every side. But I know Jesus is the light. And he'll change everything. Just stick close to him. Just keep sticking close to him. When he asks you to do something, try it. He'll help you. When he asks you to change something, believe it's possible. When he corrects you, I know it's hard. Say thanks. And walk with him. Just keep trusting. There'll be days when it feels like you got too far out ahead and you can't see the light anymore. You don't know what to do next. To be honest, I feel like that most of the time, and I feel like I'm in good company because Mother Teresa said she spent most of her life having no idea where God was and feeling like he'd abandoned her. So if she can go down that road, I figure I'm on the right path. So just keep close. Keep following. Keep trusting. Bless somebody this week.